This is episode six, and I'm gonna show you the best tool to keep you focused on the most important bottleneck to solve at all times. This is the Bottleneck Breakthrough Podcast. I'm Josh Long, and this is all about helping you find and fix the biggest challenges in your business to unlock growth and profits that last. All right, digging into week six, the bottleneck breakthrough method implementation series. And if you've been with us through all of them this week, the payoff is going to be big. I know last week we talked a lot about mindset, and I think mindset is the most important uh, of the six growth levers to deal with. But today we're going to talk about putting it all to use, putting this all into uh, reality in your business, taking action in implementing it. That's what this whole six-week series was about. And I like starting off with quotes. I think they help anchor the intention of, of the session. And so this quote starts with, the reactionary owner earns a salary while the proactive owner builds assets. And it was said by a, a really bright guy, uh, yours truly. That was, a, that was a quote I came up with. I've said it to clients over the years. And I think it works perfectly for this session because we want to focus on being proactive, not walking around fire extinguishers in hands, putting out fires every day because those fires will never stop. And I made a post on uh, social media recently, Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Instagram of the vicious cycle of busyness. And every business owner, every manager gets to a point where they can be putting out fires all day, dealing with God a minute meetings all day and feel like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day reliving the same day over and over and over. And it's easy to get into that trap because it maintains the status quo. It maintains the current level you got to. And it's a vicious cycle because they never stop. And so when we look at building assets, it is proactive. And that's all a business is, is a combination of assets that you've put together, whether it's staff, whether it's communications or marketing systems, whether it's intellectual property like formulations, like my client Teresa has with her ClearCoat um, product and the chemist that she's become to create that product. Those are all assets. And even down to the, the systems that you have are versions of assets. And I take assets definition from the old Kiyosaki definition of it's something that puts money in your pocket or works together with other assets to put money in your pocket versus a liability, which is an expense that uh, takes, a, takes money out of your pocket. And so looking at reactionary owners, they earn a salary, they maintain a job, they stay in the status quo. And uh, I, I like Jim Rohn's old quote, profits are better than wages because profits, you can get leverage. And when you are proactive in building assets, you get more and more leverage. So today we're going over the profit priorities process. I talk about it in the book. It's chapter 13. All of this is, is spelled out there. I'm hopefully today trying to give you more nuance of how to apply this, how to use the tools uh, in it, and give you a little bit more perspective around how I use this with my clients today. Because all of my clients, we have a Google Sheet that each of them has all of their potential bottleneck solutions on them. And then we prioritize them through what I'm going to walk you through today. So 
the first thing in how to prioritize the first weighted score that we give is how much time is it going to take to implement this? Because we all know that there's lots and lots and lots of ideas, lots of possible solutions to your bottlenecks. But in small business, we are limited by staff, by money, and by time and attention. And so knowing those constraints that we've got to get results quickly, we've got to get results that last, my view on how fast can we implement this is a really important distinction because first off, we all know that every project, every opportunity takes twice as much money and twice as much time as we think. So if we can come in with a sober perspective and say, how long is this going to take to implement and give it a score, then they at the end, when we see all of our scores added up, it helps us prioritize which one uh, to do first. And so the time to implement score is what would be called an inverted scale. The longer it's going to take, the lower the score. So I kind of have a rough rubric um, scoring outline for each client that says, if it can be done immediately, like by the end of the day, if somebody can get this done by the end of today, uh, give it a 10. If it's going to take, let's say, a week of significant effort, let's give it a 5. And if it's going to take two months or more, let's give it a 1. And so it's a sliding scale somewhere along that line. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody's grading this. It's not going to the profit priorities process uh, national committee to be reviewed before they give you a permit to allow you to implement it. This is just some guidelines and some, again, additional perspective. I call it sober perspective for us entrepreneurs because we're such visionaries, we're such optimists. We get so excited about ideas, but this brings us back to reality of saying, how much time is this gonna take to implement? So give it a score to one to 10. Next, we go through how much effort is this going to take to implement? And you may think time and effort are one and the same, but the reality is there's thinking effort, there's physical effort, there's coordinated effort. So if this is something that only you can do and you have to have complete undivided attention to do it, let's say it is... So a, a friend of mine, George, he's got a AdWords and pay-per-click traffic agency. And let's say that he's got a client that has a really hairy project and it's beyond all of his staff and he wants to try this new opportunity for one of his clients. Let's say he wants to figure out Google Display for the certain manufacturing company in a certain geography and he has to put his time into targeting the the um, locations and writing the copy and um, working with the client on differentiation and and all of these things and only he can do it that's going to be a high effort it may not take him a ton of time it may take him two hours but it takes all of his two hours so and he's the most valuable person in his company because he's the owner and he's the smartest guy and he's got the most strategic perspective so that effort is going to be high so Effort scale, again, is inverted. If it's something that can be done quickly, can be done without a bunch of thought, can just it's menial work, or it's something that anybody on your team can do easily, then that effort would be considered a 10 because it can be done quickly. It's scored highly. Let's get it done fast. Um, it can be done without significant effort. 
If it's something like I just listed where George has to be the guy that has to carve out three to four hours and it's only him and it's all of his attention, then that's let's give that an effort of five. And then if it's going to be something where it's going to take weeks on weeks of meetings, of coordinated team, full team meetings, and everybody's got to put their brain power on it because it's a really hairy project and the board has to get involved and there's all sorts of arm wrestling, then let's give that an effort of one. So again, these are arbitrary numbers. These aren't scientific. They're not uh, anything that you perfectionists are going to be happy with or the perfectionists on your team may get into hair splitting, but it doesn't matter if you give it a five or a six or a 10 or a nine or a one or a two or a one or a three. It's not going to matter in the end because you'll see when we get to the end how it all comes together. Next is cost to implement. And this is another thing that us entrepreneurs are really bad at estimating. Like I said, all projects take twice as much time and twice as much money as we initially think. And maybe three or four times, depends on how optimistic you are. But cost, again, is inverted. If it takes zero money, zero cost, that's a 10. And it's all relative of what your scale going down is. So if you're under a million dollars, and let's say you've got a cushion of 50 grand in the bank, but you see this opportunity and you can invest 25 grand, let's give that a five, let's say, because your cash flow is decent, you've got enough reserves, but you're digging into your cash and this is gonna, maybe with the time, it's gonna take six months and 25 grand. So it doesn't feel as big of a sting, but it's still taking half of your reserves. And let's say that if you have to borrow or carry some kind of debt, or that it's some bigger risk that it goes down to a one. And again, cost is relative to where you're at. So there's no hard and fast thing that says, well, if it's over $100, it's a nine, or if it's under $100, it's a nine or 10. If it's over $10,000, it's a one. There's, there's no rule to it. It's just a guide and to stay consistent with where you're at as you evaluate your opportunities. Then profit potential, and this is directly correlated. If there's not much potential for new profit, it's a low score. And if it's got good upside, then it's a high score. So let's go back to my client, Teresa. When we were looking at adding her products to Amazon, we weren't sure exactly how much time it would take or the effort or the cost or the profit um, potential. But if we looked at it, we could say, well, I guess we could probably get 100,000 a year out of Amazon. That probably would have been our view. And at the time, she was about 1.2 million. And so let's say that profit potential is a six or a seven. We're not sure. And so we would put that because we're not quite sure. Now, a less cynical or less uncertain person, somebody who's a little bit more uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed might say, oh, Amazon, you could sell $10 million a year through it. But that's a little... That's a little short-sighted, and I think that experience brings that back down to reality. So for Teresa, we would have said Amazon was probably a six or a seven. And since then, I think Amazon's grown to be about three or four hundred thousand. So it it would be closer to what I would say an eight or a nine. It wasn't a ten because it wasn't gonna double her business. And that's kind of how I would view it as a profit potential is something that has the potential of doubling your business would be a 10. And it doesn't have to double immediately, but to the point where it could double revenue or more, I would score that as a 10. Now, something like creating checklists for employees, that's not going to have much profit potential. It's going to be an efficiency gain, and it may make their jobs easier, but it's not going to drive profits. 
unless it's tied to something related to closing clients or it's tied to something related to not losing clients that if your staff are messing up or change or um, losing clients because they're they're not following processes then it could have some profit potential but i still wouldn't say that systems based stuff most documentation most systems based stuff are not going to have high profit potential uh, but they have other things that are in their benefit so then the final scoring uh, part of the rubric is likelihood of success now this one is Again, where sober perspective, sober thinking needs to come in uh, because us entrepreneurs want to say, well, of course, everything's going to work out. Yes, of course. I thought of it. It's brilliant. It's going to work. Let's do it. But the reality is that just because you do something doesn't mean that it's going to produce the results that you want or that it's not going to drive the outcome that you think it is. And I would say you could add a layer of likelihood of success of what's the likelihood of us actually doing this based on the complexity of the other parts of it. And so again, this is directly correlated. If the likelihood of success is high, give it a 10. If the likelihood of success is low, give it a one somewhere down there. And um, I tend to give a lot of these fives until I find out what my client's ability to actually execute or follow through or their staff's ability to not sabotage or throw a fit or temper tantrum. And so when we look at these, I'm going to give an example, and I pull it right from the book from Ben Gorelick's Mountain Guide School. But what happens when we go through five these five factors, it allows us to look at it more objectively. And it allows us to see, okay, I've loved this idea, and I know it's a good one, but gosh, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money, and I'm not really certain that it's going to work out. And so all of these questions are essentially like having your own in-house CFO, your chief financial officer that is questioning or bringing more practical thinking to your harebrained thinking. And I'm joking about calling it harebrained thinking. It's just entrepreneurs tend to be more visionary, more excitable, like new ideas, like going to a conference, finding some new idea and coming back and dumping all of those ideas on the desks of the staff or on the conference table and overwhelming everybody. And that's just how we're wired. We like new things. We like new challenges. And so these five questions help you look at them more objectively. So let's look at the example from the book. And I can give other examples too uh, if, there, if there's any need at the end. But this is the profit priority process of the Mountain Guide uh, Training School. And when Ben came to me, he thought that creating training manuals was needed. He was going, hitting right about 800,000. He had bumped into a million about three other times before, just got overwhelmed. And so when we talked in August of 2014, I said, what do you really need? And he said, I think I need training manuals. My staff doesn't know what to do for all of the expeditions that we bring students in on. Their average expedition lasted three to four weeks. They would be hiking with three or four guides and eight or 10 students out on a polar ice cap somewhere or a, a glacial ice cap, uh, whether it's in Alaska or down in uh, Patagonia and Chile, or they're doing some rock climbing expedition in Spain. So there's a lot of logistics. And he said, I think I need help creating training manuals. And so that's what he hired me for. And so when we started after our initial intake, I said, well, let me ask about all these other things in your business. And that's when I found out he was spending about 20 to 25 hours a week 
on calls with prospects. And so when we look at where to find bottlenecks, one of the first ones is where are you spending a lot of time? And so he thought he didn't have the time to train his staff, so he needed somebody to create the manuals. When in reality, he's spending so much time on prospecting calls with any student, any prospect prospective student that is interested in going there. And he was only closing like one or two of those uh, a month, but taking up all of this time. And then I said, well, where are these leads coming from? And he was a student of Perry Marshall's and he'd gone to Perry's bobsled run, uh, which is all about uh, dialing in your AdWords and pay-per-click traffic. And this was 2014. So he had been doing AdWords consistently for five or six years and had it really dialed in, but his cost per lead was around $29 and change. And he was profitable on that. And so as we looked at it, I said, let's just go through this process of scoring, creating training manuals, reducing lead costs, because Facebook was coming on the market then, they were really gaining traction, and I had had some successful Facebook campaigns with clients, and then streamlining closing. And so we went through. What's the time to implement? And we thought, well, for streamlining closing, that's gonna take us about a month. So let's give that a seven. And for reducing lead costs, that's gonna take us between a month and a month and a half. So let's give that a six. And then creating training manuals, that's gonna take about two months because going through interviewing staff, walking through the process in between all the chaos of scheduling uh, their expeditions, it's just gonna take longer. So let's call that a five. So now effort to implement. How hard is it to streamline closing? Well, I do this all day long. It's something that I enjoy. And so for me being involved, it wasn't gonna be really hard at all. There's not many steps to the closing process and I felt confident that we could get it done um, pretty easily. It, didn't, it wouldn't take a mountain of effort. So we gave it an eight. It gave it an eight. And so reducing lead costs, that's a little bit more work, more copywriting, a little bit more split testing, but still something that I felt we could, I, if it worked, it wouldn't take a ton of work. And so we gave that a seven. Now creating training manuals, that's just a lot of writing, a lot of typing, a lot of interviews, a lot of process documentation. So even though it's not hard work, it's just effort. It's just gonna take attention and energy. So we gave that a four. So now cost to implement. Again, on the streamlining closing, there wasn't a whole lot of cost. We started using Typeform, which I'm a huge fan of and talk about regularly throughout the book and have all my clients on it. And so there's, I think that was 35 a month. I already had an account. I think Ben got one separately, but $35 a month is not a ton of cost. And everything else uh, was just effort and time. So there was zero additional cost. So we gave that a nine. Now, reducing lead cost, we gave that a seven because we figured we'd have to spend money on Facebook and possibly lose money while we're figuring out what's working. But we're thinking five grand, and he was spending about five grand a month on ads anyway. So if he risked another five grand over two months, uh, that's not that big of a deal. So we gave it a seven. And then creating training manuals takes little to no money. So we gave that a nine. We probably could have given it a 10 in the end. So then the profit potential, what's the profit potential of streamlining closing? And we weren't sure. We weren't sure how much we could gain. Uh, so we gave it an eight. We were pretty confident that it would increase revenue, that it would increase results, but we weren't super confident. 
uh, we weren't hundred percent confident that it was going to deliver the results it did. And then reducing lead costs. Again, if you reduce lead costs with the same quality of lead, you get more leads, more revenue potential. So we were confident that we could, inc that there would be profit by reducing lead costs because we could take the same budget and plow it back in to get more leads. So we gave that an eight and then creating training manuals. He wasn't losing any students from things being disjointed. He wasn't losing any staff from being, being disjointed. So it was more of an efficiency and satisfaction, job satisfaction for the employees. So we viewed the creating training manuals as really only a four in profit potential. It would allow him to hire people easier. It would allow him to add a few more students down the road if he wanted. He was kind of already at capacity, so it was more of streamlining things. So again, profit potential wasn't that high, so we gave it a four on creating training manuals. So then the likelihood of success, and this is where I think we we, we did bring good sober thinking. We gave streamlining closing a five. We weren't sure. We weren't sure how they'd respond. We weren't sure what upside there was or all the holes in it. We didn't know exactly the outcome. So we just gave it a five. It was a 50-50 shot, kind of a coin flip. And reducing lead cost was the same thing. We gave it a five because his AdWords campaigns were super mature. They were really well dialed in. Perry had helped him over the years, get him really dialed in. And Facebook was still new, and I had only had a little bit of traction at that point. But creating training manuals, the likelihood of success was a 10. Like we knew getting training manuals created was gonna work. It was gonna make a difference. So that was guaranteed 10 out of 10. So when we add all of these up, we see that the streamlining closing score is 37, and the reduced lead cost score is 33 and the create training manuals is 32. So what he came to me thinking was his biggest opportunity to solve a bottleneck was creating training manuals. What reality was, was that streamlining closing was the biggest opportunity and the best possible solution for his bottlenecks. And so we started there and we had no idea that it was gonna produce as big a results as it did because what we ended up doing was creating a more robust application that they had to fill out before they talked to him. It ended up being like 50 or 60 questions. Most of them open-ended. It would take at least an hour for most students to go through it. So you can imagine his call volume went way down, uh, went from 20 to 25 hours a week down to three to four hours a week. Maybe it was five at the most, but significant time savings. Then we added an application fee of $55. So now there's even more commitment in addition to the application questions. And he could add a welcome package that he paid out of that $55 that made them feel like they're coming to a real university, a more legitimate university, I should say. And then the people that he got on those calls, 80% of them closed. So it took his success rate up tenfold. It reduced his time in it 90%. And that one change freed up so much time that then he could spend time managing his staff, ended up not needing to create uh, training manuals, just needed some basic processes and more of development of managers. And everything got unlocked, growth happened. And so he went from 785,000 and at the end of the year we started working together to the next year, he did 1.35 million. And then the year after that, he did 2.4 million. And so we also tackled lead costs, reducing lead costs. Next, once we got the application funnel working, we went over to Facebook 
and we targeted there and right out of the gate we were getting leads around six or seven dollars a piece same quality leads there was no difference in quality and after about 60 days we got it down to about four dollars and 85 cents a lead so it was 600 percent improvement in lead uh, quality or lead cost i should say so we could spend the same five grand and drive six times the amount of leads because the original lead cost was about $29.85 and we ended up just shy of five bucks. So six times more leads at the same cost, same quality. Now we had way more leads to take through the application process. The application applicants coming through were much, much higher quality. And that one, two punch tripled his business in two years. And so when you look at the profit priority process, it helps to find what I would say, prevent you from spending time on a false efficiency. Something like creating training manuals that would be good, but it's not gonna drive as big a gains or no gains at all because Ben still would have been stuck 20 to 25 hours a week talking to prospective students, spending 30 bucks a lead and maintaining the status quo. His staff would have gotten more efficient but there was no way that he could have increased volume and he needed to increase volume to go through that kind of growth. It wasn't significant volume. It wasn't like he needed to close a hundred students a month. It was just a couple, two or three a month added that made all the difference in the world, but we had to free up his time so he could run the rest of the company. And so I think this process is the best method possible for us visionary, optimistic entrepreneurs to have more sober perspective and to help find the real um, bottleneck that we're dealing with, the real uh, thing holding us back at any given point. Because we've gone through the bottleneck hierarchy in week one that goes through the sta stages of what bottlenecks to look at. If you don't have leads, nothing else matters. You need to work on leads. Then fulfilling those leads. If you don't have a process or ability to fulfill them, nothing else matters and going up that hierarchy. Then we got into the bottleneck matrix in week two, talking about revenue plateaus. And I'll go in more detail in coming weeks in the podcast about different revenue plateaus and more nuance of how to solve the bottlenecks at, at each. But those revenue plateaus show you, okay, these are the most common bottlenecks here. This is the most common single bottleneck at this revenue plateau. And here's the most common solution that I've seen working with clients on those bottlenecks. And now with the profit priorities process, you're able to say, okay, here's all of my ideas that I think can solve the key bottlenecks and let's score it. And let's focus on starting with the most, the highest score, the, the most likely um, one to produce results in a time frame that's worthwhile for our small business. Because the quicker you get results, the more it can compound. Let's go through and prioritize that. And so I've got a client, they just had me go through their sales and marketing um, processes and their team for their digital marketing agency. They're stuck. They're not stuck. They're slowly growing past about 5 million. And I went through and found about 22 opportunities that are all pretty low hanging fruit. There's a couple big ones. And uh, one of them that's interesting is they just need better sales and marketing management. So they're having me step in for a short period to, to do that while we figure out um, who, who the right person is for that. But the 22 items that I came up with, three or four of them score between a 45 and a 50 on all of this scoring rubric. 
And the easiest one is getting their in-house support team to ask their clients for referrals because they don't deal with a lot of support requests. They may talk to their clients once a year uh, for something on support. And at the end of that call, all they need to say is, hey, uh, so-and-so, thanks so much for your business. I I'm glad we solved your problem today. We grow off of referrals. And so what we're hoping is that you could think of a referral or two that you can introduce us to. And uh, we'd love to send you an email you could forward to them. Is that okay if we do that? And that little script is all they need to add, I think, to add significant volume of qualified referred lead flow back to their sales team. And it should be a no-brainer to get everybody to do. And there may be a little bit of a hissy fit by the support team because they're not salespeople and they don't want to pester these clients. But we just need to reframe it that this is how we serve our clients and this is how we can ask for favors back because we serve them so well and their friends and, and colleagues deserve to have our service, that, that we're the best in the business and all that stuff. So that that is a no-brainer implement tomorrow. It takes no time. I just wrote the script, just rattling it off to you here. It may take a 30-minute team meeting to kind of kick everybody in the shins in the service department to get them on board and say, this is why it's important. You can't have a hissy fit over this. We need you to do this. And then on all the way down, and some of them are scoring in the high mid thirties. And those aren't opportunities that are, they need to get to right away, but they're there and we can get to it over time and keep reevaluating by just dumping these ideas into a Google sheet or an Excel spreadsheet and updating their scores over time. Uh, that maybe we realized that, so for, for Ben with the reduce the lead costs, the likelihood of success we thought was a five, it ended up being a 10. Well, maybe we try something else on the lead gen side. Maybe it's a partnership. Maybe it's another ad channel. Maybe we go to Bing or we go to Google Display. Well, by that point, having Facebook and Google AdWords both being successful, then I would have scored our likelihood of success higher. And that's what you get to do as your team implements, as your ideas come to fruition, you get to refine your scoring rubric and your estimates of, well, gosh, we really screwed up. This took five times the budget that we thought. So I need to be a little bit more, more practical when it comes to budget estimates. So let's make the budgets a little lower score because we think it's going to be more. And I'm probably underestimating this because I have a habit of underestimating this. And so by having a single sheet that you're tracking all of these opportunities in, then you can cherry pick and you can take time and you can be proactive and build those assets and not just be in reactive mode. And the beauty is you're uniquely wired uh, of how you like approaching these things, of how you like pursuing these kinds of opportunities. I personally am a sprinter. I, there's no way I'll ever run a marathon in my life. The closest I've ever done was a Tough Mudder, and that was 13 miles, and that was plenty uh, back in 2012. And my body is perfectly built for sprinting, and my personality is perfectly built for sprinting, and I like running through sprints. People say 90-day sprints. I like 30-day sprints. I probably get more done in 30 days than most people get done in half a year on proactively implementing this stuff. And you can see it right here with Ben's example. Uh, most of that stuff was done within the first 60 days. And so for me, I like having a profit priorities sheet because I can pick the top two or three, put my head down and go get it done. 
and get results and then sit back and watch it and then let it sit for a month or two or three or six, depending on the personality of my client. And then we come back and we say, okay, what's next? Let's go through this scoring list again and let's go through whatever new has come up because there's always a downstream effect and uh, there's always some imp something that comes up that you couldn't anticipate, whether it's positive or negative. And so to me, by just having this sheet continually updated over time, it gives you all of the uh, opportunities right in front of you to pick and go after when you're ready, when you want. Um, and like, I just got off a call with a client today. He's got a great business. It's we're pursuing making it a, a two and a half million dollar cash cow. He's about 1.4 million right now. And he's coming into his busy season. And he's like, I think I need to push. I need to hire somebody. Our cash is a little tight. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Let's maybe take this year and you get to rebuild your cash reserves and we get to optimize a whole bunch of these processes with your staff on closing or fulfillment or whatever. And then next year you can add a person because he doesn't have to keep pushing. He doesn't have to hit 50% year over year growth to get it to 10 million. He's only got to hit 25 or 30% growth the next two years and he's at two and a half million. And that's very manageable. So I think that's where using this rubric, this scoring system of the profit priorities process as your roadmap of what to proactively pursue next is the best way to unlock growth and profits that last. So for those of you that are live on here with me, any questions that you can come up with? Yes, Dave, do you use this process for all of the different stages in the bottleneck pyramid? Yes, 100%. This is... This is really, to me, the fundamental project management outline of how to keep coming back on whether you're going around the six levers of growth that we covered. I think that was week three, um, whether it's strategy or marketing or management or systems uh, or your vision or mindset, you can go through it with that. You can go through it with the bottleneck hierarchy um, that whether it's getting clients. So I was talking with a guy um, the other day, he's running into the $2 million revenue plateau. And oftentimes I find that at $2 million, they need to upgrade their clients. They need to uh, go for a little larger client because it's easier to close them and there's it's easier to fulfill them over time as opposed to a lot of smaller clients. And so... We're going through this process right now around his marketing because he's gotten all of his clients through speaking at conferences and networking events. And he gets invited to these because he's so capable in such an innovative field of um, machine learning and, and uh, artificial intelligence. But to get past this $2 million mark, he's got to create some marketing materials, whether it's case studies, whether it's a guide, a book, um, for the decision makers, the VPs at these Fortune 500 companies, that now we get to look at the profit parity process of what communications or what systems does he need to create in his marketing to close those larger clients, to expand his reach and get beyond the $2 million revenue plateau. And so this becomes the tool you use all the time is my recommendation. Obviously, I'm biased. I think it works really well. But that's the reason I created it was for my clients to use it long after I'm gone, for you to use it, whether you become a client of mine or not, and that it it becomes your 
your tool on what to execute on and you're no longer just sticking with your gut or your opinion or what the data says because data may show something uh, in, in your business, whether it's some inefficiency in your follow-up process or some inefficiency in your lead gen process, but fixing that may not lead to more profit or it may not be possible to fix. Maybe you've got an average of uh, 30% close rate and that's just what it is. So let's optimize somewhere else. I don't know, but by using this rubric over and over and over, you'll find that you're going to be getting significant compound growth because you're working on the things that matter that produce the best results uh, for your business next. So great question. Yes, this is to me, the executive level project management strategy framework for small business owners. If uh, that that's a horrible name for it, but that's the way I would put it. In the resources section of the book, I have a Google Sheet template that you can use to, to get this. So if you don't have uh, the book or the resources yet, you can go to bbg.li slash resources. That's bbg, like bottleneck breakthrough group, dot li, like dot link slash resources. And you can get free access to the members area. And uh, you can see the profit priorities process spreadsheet there that you can copy, create your own version of it and start using this in your business today. I have one for all of my clients. It doesn't even need to be updated every week when I'm on the call with them. It's just capturing the bottleneck solutions and then how do we prioritize going from proactive to proactive implementation to get compound results. And uh, for those of you that um, aren't in the Facebook group, I talk about it every week. It's great resources shared there. It's called Bottleneck Breakthrough Method. You can go to bbg.li slash FB for Facebook. And if you're getting value from this podcast, I would love it if you left a review on iTunes, uh, or I don't know if they can leave reviews on Spotify. And uh, I think my book's up now to 35 five-star reviews. So if you've got the book, whether it's the Audible, the Kindle, or the print version, or I've shared the PDF with you, I'd love it if you can go to Amazon and leave another great review. The more that we get there, the more um, people find this stuff and benefit from it. And that's my whole goal is just to share the bottleneck breakthrough method with as many small business owners as possible and obviously get the right ones as clients that I can work with. But I just love talking about this and equipping business owners with it because I think the more small businesses are successful, the better our society is and the better everybody wins. So that's my uh, soapbox pitch of why I care about this getting out to everybody. But hope this was valuable for those of you that are just following the six-week implementation series uh, in the Facebook group. Uh, this is all there. You can go back through it. The podcast will continue and uh, it will be similar format, similar content, more nuanced um, week by week and hope you guys get a ton of value and have a great day. This podcast theme music is an excerpt from Triptych of Snippets by Septa Helix. It's used